0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies, brought to you by realbluespruce.com.
1: Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and we've got Mark Roderick back on the podcast. Uh, As you recall, in episode 181, when you heard him last time, he has been actually practicing law since the dinosaurs roamed the earth or was it was it something else what was your uh pitch on how long you've been practicing securities law
0: yeah i usually say i graduated from law school in 1840 which was okay. well well after the well dinosaur. after
1: All right. Well, don't take it offensively, Mark, Um, but I hope you're doing well today. We're going to be talking about fund to funds. Now, if you want to get a little bit more of the back story on Mark, just go right to 181. Just scroll down, find episode 181. That was almost 200 episodes ago. Um, But today we're going to be talking about fund to funds. It's one of the subjects that I wanted to cover with Mark previously, but we didn't get the opportunity. Um, So, Mark, let's just um, take us back and understand what is a fund of funds, and then we'll get into why would you use a fund of funds.
0: Well, yeah, a fund of funds um, is – Let's see. The best description I can use is that it's a fund of funds. <laughs> so, you know, we think of a fund as a uh, an entity that owns something, and usually owns a bunch of things. For example, we might have a real estate fund that would own, you know, ten shopping centers or something like that. That's that's what we think of a, of a fund as a fund of funds is is just an entity that instead of owning like directly uh 10 shopping centers instead owns a bit of another fund <laughs> so you know let's say you had uh 10 funds each owning 10 shopping centers and now we create the Mark Roderick Fund. And what that fund does is invests in each of those 10 sort of top level funds. And I would have a, a fund of funds. Um, so you could kind of think about it as a mutual fund that invests in other mutual funds, if you know, as a, as a real life example. Now, that's kind of a more exact, definition. Very often we use the phrase fund of funds to just mean an entity that buys little pieces of other companies. So for example, a, a mutual fund, um, typical mutual fund, you know, own stock in Facebook and Apple and a hundred other companies, um, Each of those companies, I mean, Facebook is Facebook. It doesn't own itself. It doesn't own a bunch of other companies. Um, But we would still, we use the term fund of funds to refer to that mutual fund anyway. So if you had 10 companies and each of those companies just owned one shopping center and we created Mark Roderick Funds, and Mark Roderick Fund just bought 5% of each of those companies, we would probably call Mark Roderick Fund a fund of funds. So, you know, it's not an exact definition. The, the idea is that a, a fund of funds makes investments in other companies as opposed to just owning hard assets itself.
1: So one of the ways that fund of funds is starting to be used among some of the real estate syndicators in my space is it's there. What they're trying to do is they're working as hard as they can to try to make sure that they're not being broker dealers, that, that they're able to invest in a, in a deal. Some people, um, want to? They have a strong network, and they want to raise equity, and um, they aren't finding their own deal on their own as easily. And so, these things called fund of funds are popping up in the syndication space. Yeah. Um, so, with that in mind, how is it used legally um, to work within the space of syndicating? things like apartment buildings.
0: Yeah, that is, there is a fair amount of that, of that happening. So let's say that you are a, you know, you're in the real estate space and you know, a bunch of syndicators and, um, you are, you have the skill to, um, distinguish you know a good investment from a bad investment or a good investment from a better investment let's say and you also because of your industry position or your where you grew up or anything else you also happen to know a lot of investors and those investors um are not as knowledgeable and not as connected as you are. And they would love to be investing in high quality, institutional quality real estate deals, but they don't know where to find them. And they would also love to have a diversified portfolio. So what you might do is create your entity, let's call it fund entity, you raise money from investors, let's say you raise $5 million from investors. And with that $5 million, your fund entity makes investments in 10 different syndications that that you have vetted. That would definitely, we would definitely call that a, a fund of funds. And so everyone gets what they want, Your investors get institutional quality deals. They get diversification in their portfolios. Um, The underlying syndicators who love you, you're bringing capital to the table. They get the capital they want. And you probably uh, get something for your efforts in one way or another. You get a piece of the promote from the sponsor, or you get some fees from your investors. So, Everyone's happy, and that can be done. I mean, we're gonna we can talk about s- some detail because there is a big landmine there, at least one. But general matter that is legal, and that is a a fund of funds. Those deals are also often done on a syndication by syndication basis. So instead of um, you creating one entity that invests in 10 different syndications, you might create an entity for each syndication because maybe your investors, you know, some investors want you to diversify for them. Other investors don't. They want to be able to pick the deal. So, um, You know, different investors might have different desires and, and investors who want to be able to pick their own deals, they might prefer if for each one of those 10 syndications, you create your entity, syndication one entity, syndication two entity, and your investor can then pick and choose. Well, maybe they want to invest in entities two and eight, but they don't want the others. And so you might end up with 10, I'll still call them fund entities, but now those entities are only investing in a single syndication each rather than diversifying. So you can do it either way. You can mix and match. And both of those things, again, with some important potential land binds, are perfectly legal.
1: So I want to get into the landmines, and yes. um, I want to start by just talking a little bit about what I think I'm seeing. And what I think I'm seeing is that that people are are getting in, in, in trouble these days for um, becoming what they call money raisers, uh, basically – bringing in passive investors to invest in a deal someone else started and is running and they are getting um, compensated uh, to bring in more investors because it's a big deal and the person who's sponsoring it naturally has run out of investors but they say we'll We'll make it legal. Quote: I gotta do air quotes there. We'll make it legal by making sure that you have a piece of the deal because um, I can't just give you a. I can't just give you, um, you know, twenty grand to bring in some investors for me. I you have to own part of it. And then what has been happening is people have, have been saying, well, you're still being compensated based on how much money you're raising. And so you're getting into this broker-dealer place where if you're saying, if I do 100,000, I get 1% of your deal. And if I bring in a million, I get 10% of your deal. And um, this is just what's been happening. There's um, 90 plus percent of the syndicators uh, feel like this is appropriate. I'm not sure I agree with them, and but that's why we have you on the show today is because the thing that they're doing to try to correct this is they're starting their own uh, fund, their own pre syndication, and that syndication then uh, goes in and invests, I believe as an accredited investor, into the uh, other syndication and they're still being compensated, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on what does that look like to the Securities and Exchange Commission? Yes,
0: (laughs) well, yeah, I I dreaded that question. Um, (laughs) And the reason I dreaded is is not because I don't know all about it, because I do know all about it for, for better and for worse it's an extremely um, difficult subject to talk about clearly um, for two reasons that compound one another. And I am going to talk about it. I promise. I'm going to give you all the information. And just at the end, you're still going to probably be left scratching your head, but uh, I, I'm going to tell you everything you want to know, but, The reason it is difficult is, one, the rules around who has to be a broker-dealer are ambiguous, Um, always have been ambiguous. So there have been a lot of court cases. You know, the SEC comes in and says, hey, that that person, he's taking commission. He looks like a broker-dealer. He's not registered. You know, we're going to impose penalties. And they go to court, and the courts have – I'm not going to say been all over the place, but the courts have developed these multi-factor tests to determine whether an individual in a given situation should have been registered as a broker dealer. And needless to say, those tests are squishy. You know, it's not, not hard and fast rules. So there are a whole bunch of factors, you know, did the person engage in selling efforts Uh, how often does the person do this? Is the person separately compensated for doing this? Did the person take possession of money and securities? There are all these tests as to whether an individual, um, should have been registered as a, as a broker dealer. And so, um, very often it, it, it's hard to say in a given situation, um, but that alone would be okay. There's lots of areas of the law that are ambiguous. I mean, if there weren't, God forbid, you, you wouldn't need lawyers. Um, so the the ambiguity of the law is not itself what makes this area so problematic. What makes it problematic is that the law isn't enforced. So there are tons of people out there in the syndication world acting as broker-dealers who should be registered as broker-dealers. And if there were an SEC god, these people would be immediately be struck by lightning. It's so clear that they should be broker-dealers, but they're not. And they are out there operating and have been operating for the last 25 years and nothing has ever happened to them. The SEC in general doesn't enforce this particular rule it enforces it in manhattan or like in in the world of corporations public corporations there the sec really cares a lot about who who's a broker who has to be licensed takes enforcement action you know is is very uh polices that space very effectively But in the world of private syndications and in particular private real estate syndications, which is not obviously limited to Manhattan, the SEC just doesn't take enforcement actions. And as a result, you get this weird bifurcation where lawyers like me can give these lectures and hand out materials and have PowerPoint presentations about what you can do and what you can't do. And yet... The world out there is, I mean, we're describing an academic world. We're not describing the world as it is actually operating because the world as it is actually operating basically ignores the academic rules. And, and so people like you, people in the syndication space are always hearing stories, true stories, Um, that says, well, you know, this guy raised $2 million. He paid this guy this and they did this. And then someone will say, wait a second, I thought that was illegal. Doesn't make sense. And the answer is it is illegal and they're doing it anyway with no adverse consequences. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not recommending it, (laughs) but you put those two things together. You have an ambiguous law on the one hand. And in addition... The SEC is not enforcing the law. And then someone asked me, the lawyer, okay, what should I do? And that's why, as a lawyer, you dread the question because you're going to have to go through this academic uh, response and then say, but hey, everyone's doing it. Um, So there are some things that are easy to say that you cannot do and the the first is just you're gonna pay that flat commission i'm gonna pay you five percent for every dollar you you raise and there are guys actually it's almost always guys i've never yet i haven't run across yet a female (laughs) doing this but who live on their rolodex right and that's an old-fashioned word from back in 1840 but um they they know a lot of wealthy people. They they know, they make it their business to meet uh, investors, and syndicators come to them and they say, "Right, I mean, I've seen written agreements that say oh, I'll pay you five percent of uh, of all the investment dollars you raise." Um, that is clearly illegal. Um, that person should be a broker dealer. So, a lot of people do it, but um, that is clearly illegal. So, on the academic side, for what it's worth, let me just tell you and your listeners that the SEC has sort of changed its position over the years. Back 30 years ago, the SEC agreed with the courts that whether someone is a broker dealer, depends on a number of different factors, five or six different factors. Today, if you ask the SEC, they would absolutely tell you that if you take a commission, you're a broker. Doesn't matter anything about the other factors. If you take a commission, you're a broker. The courts, you know, the courts are not there yet. The courts still there are multi-factors, but in terms of inviting an SEC challenge, yeah if they see just a commission being paid they're going to they're going to say it's a broker now, um now let me say this let me answer a question you haven't asked yet um many people believe that the um the bad thing the penalty that can happen if you act as a broker without being registered as such is that the SEC comes after you. That is not true, that's a key point. If a syndicator raises money using a broker who is not registered as a broker, what that means is that the offering is illegal. The whole offering is illegal. And if investors lose their money or don't make as much money as they thought they were gonna make, and someone, one of those investors has a lawyer you know or a nephew or an uncle who's a lawyer and knows a little securities laws, and finds out that the deal was funded illegally, then that individual syndicator, not his company, but him or her individually, is personally liable to give everyone their their money back. So that's actually. The dreadful penalty for um, you know, for paying commissions improperly. Um, okay, so I told you what is clearly illegal if the law were enforced. One thing that the SEC does not seem to think is illegal is um, let's say, in our example from before that you you create an entity and you raise money from investors um, and their capital goes from your entity into the main syndication. And the syndicator agrees to give you a piece of his promote, not a cash upfront payment, but a piece of his promote you know, a piece of his back-end profit, that is probably okay. I I mean, I've been on the phone with the SEC in which high-up people at the SEC said, yeah, we'd probably be okay with that. No one should take that as binding legal advice, none of your listeners, because what some person at the SEC says on a phone call is, you know, that and whatever it is, $2.25 gets you on the New York subway these days. Um, But that is something that is probably okay. Um, Something else that is okay is if you create your entity, let's say you raise $5 million from your investors, your investors pay you 2%. 2%. They pay you a hundred thousand dollars basically for finding those investments. So you get your compensation from your investors, not from the syndicator. That's okay. Now you might have to wonder whether you're an investment advisor in that situation, but, um, but that's, that's probably okay. On the Just on the other side of the line, let's say that the syndicator says to you, listen, I won't pay you in cash, but I will just give you an actual piece of the deal, not just the promote, but I'll give you a piece of the deal for every million dollars you you raise. That's probably not okay. That's more like a cash commission. And in all of these situations, I am assuming that... Um, you are not sort of acting as a salesperson for the deal because that makes you more like a, a broker dealer. But those examples give you some sense of the lay of the land and they probably also give you a sense that it's really hard to make Make a black and white call they these are these are very very fact sensitive uh cases and if you just change one fact, you might go from being good to being bad or from bad from being bad to being good so i although I rarely use podcasts as an opportunity to say you should hire a lawyer, <laughs> this is an area where if you're the syndicator or you're the person getting paid probably makes sense to talk to a securities lawyer.
1: Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, how do people find you? How do they get a hold of you?
0: Well, the best way is through my um, through my blog, which is crowdfundattny.com. So crowd and fund, all one word, attny.com. You will see me, you can also just plug Mark Roderick crowdfunding into any search engine and it should find me. Some people try to do legal research about crowdfunding and they call me and they say, Mark, I just couldn't get away from you. Everywhere I looked, I saw your face. So uh, I shouldn't be hard to find and, and all my contact information is there.
1: I appreciate that. The link is in the show notes. So if you just want to scroll down right now, you'll be able to find that link and click it and you'll be able to see the blog right away. Uh, Mark, thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their nine to five, wishing they had more time with their family, What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract and at 27 years old was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system and hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast.